Welcome to The Next Track, a podcast about how people listen to music today. I'm Doug Adams. And I'm Kirk McElhern. You can find episode show notes, past episode archives, and listener discussions at our website, thenexttrack.com. And in between episodes, follow us on Twitter at NextTrackCast. Our guest today is Chris Conacher. Hi, Chris. I wanted to get you in right away because I, I wanted to ask you a question right o- off the bat. So welcome to the show. Hello, Doug. Hello, Kirk. Happy to be back. I've been following this story of yours for a while, ever since I noticed that you're actually not in a garage anymore, but you're in this attic where you talk to us. And you've remade it as a listening room. And I've been following it on your website, Audiophile Style. You've been talking about how you've been working to get this room up to a professional listening room standard. But the question I have is, how did you get your wife to accede to letting you have a room that only does one thing, which is essentially just play sounds, and that's all it does? Oh, yes. That is the $64,000 question. And to be frank, it was her idea. To get you out of the way? (laughs) Congratulations. Yes, thank you. Because... You know, who knows? Maybe someday I'll move my listening room out of here and we'll move our bedroom in here. Or so, you know, there's just uh, there's more to it, I think. Um, and plus, she's she's playing the long game. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. So she said if he redoes the whole room, then it will be up to quality for what we want to do when we move the bedroom up there. Yep. It very well okay. could be. And I have guests over um, like manufacturers or whoever. And she was always like, oh, man, do they have to go down to your dungeon? And it'd be nice if they could come up to something that looks nice. I think it was Mark Twain who said, it's not a man cave. It's a room in the basement of your wife's house. (laughs) Yes, yes. But anyway, we want to talk about this fabulous room that you've built. Um, We mere mortals could never spend the time and the amount of money and the amount of energy and the effort that it would take to, to make something like this ourselves. That's why it's so fascinating to see you do it right from scratch. It's almost like watching Bob Vila on uh, this old house, you know? Um, but anyway, that's why we wanted to have you on and talk about that. Yeah, it's exciting, you know? Um, and you know, the when I look at the reasons why I did it, it's so I can offer a better product to the readers. If I can hear better, I can write better for them. You know, if I get a component in and my room's terrible, heck, I'm just taking a guess at what it sounds like. But what I get out of this and the most interesting thing is how important the room is. And, you know, I'm skeptical about all these magical cables and the little trestles to keep the cables off the floor. And reading your article, and we're going to go through your process here. So there were two articles. The first one talks about actually rebuilding the room and cabling it and all. And the second one talks about the acoustics and the speakers and the DSP. What I get out of this is that the importance of the room should be way up there, let's say behind the amplifier and the speakers, and not to be the last thing people consider. It's like, why would you even worry about cables if your room doesn't sound good? Yes. In fact, I would say the room should be up there as number one, because you cannot select a pair of speakers without considering your room. Go out and get the greatest, biggest, whatever speakers you want, put them in a bathroom and they're going to sound terrible. So room to me is absolutely number one. Don't do anything without at least understanding your room if you can't do anything about it. 
Okay, so I want to jump ahead in the article to something that you mentioned near the end, and you've got a graph showing the response in your room before and after DSP. We'll talk about the DSP part later, but what do you use to get that graph, which is showing that at certain frequencies, there's more response and certain other frequencies, there's less response. What I do is I take measurements using room EQ wizard, and that just runs a frequency sweep and it plots that graph right for me. And do you do this at the one position where you're going to be sitting or all around the room? Nope, you do it at where your ears are in the listening chair. Right. Is that a device or is that an app? Okay, so Room EQ Wizard is a free app. And I have the, it's like a U-Mic 1. It's a USB measuring microphone. I want to say it's around 100 or $150. And I just connect it, run REW, and it shows me the exact graph. Now, I could use any cheapo USB mic, really, though, couldn't I? Well, technically, you could do anything you want, but... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying to see some kind of basic results... You could it, use a tin can and a string, but I don't think... If the frequency response is altered by the microphone, then that's going to give you false data. Yeah, so the big thing, a measuring microphone comes with a little calibration file, so you can upload that uh, uh, into right. the app. So everything, you know, it's, it's setting yourself off on a, on a good start. So is this kind of what Yamaha provides with their surround sound receivers where you get a little microphone? No. In that, usually what those manufacturers provide is a microphone to move around to several positions to take measurements in order to do auto DSP. And the microphone is usually kind of like an omnidirectional. It just wants to take in everything from yeah. wherever it is. So, I, I mean, I say no, it's a little different, but... You know, in the grand scheme of life, yeah, very similar type of thing. Okay, but what I found interesting is how much of a variance there is at different frequencies in the room. And I guess this is just normal because it's the materials, it's how they reflect, it's what's absorbed, what's not. You've got a staircase behind you, and that staircase is will be behind your sitting position when because you're sitting in one corner of the room where we see you, and you kind of at the other end of the staircase. So you're going to have that sort of... I'm seeing the sound just like come out your speakers and just like cascading down the stairs and not resonating. And maybe that's the drop that you see in the bass frequencies, like from 50 to 100 hertz on your thing. So this is where it started to get over my head very quickly. And I had to ask everyone I know in the industry for help and an opinion. And so some people said, you know, the sound is going to go down into that stairwell like a hole in the ground and just disappear. Others said you're going to get slap echo and it's going to be boomy. So there was all kinds of opinions. And since my room isn't like a perfect square or a perfect rectangle, yeah. there wasn't really a software model that they could use to tell me this is exactly how it's going to work. Huh. So it, it really was... Uh, Let's do our best and look at physics of the room and say, okay, here's how long the wavelengths are, and here's where you're sitting, and here's how wide it is, and, you know, it's it's difficult. Another factor we really have to consider is the ceiling is also yes. very strange. Yeah. Even probably stranger than having the, the stairwell in the middle of the room. Yes. Yep, exactly. So it's a vaulted ceiling, but the walls on the left and the right aren't the same height, so the vault doesn't start at the same you know, level. It's just, it's, it's like a, it's an engineer's nightmare who likes to use models and, and math and perfectly align things. 
Well, I'm thinking that with all that you spent on this, uh, the first thing you could have done was put something on the side where the wall is higher to make it lower. <laughs> right? Uh, <laughs> or actually dig out the vaulted part and put a new roof in or something. Like suspended ceiling. <laughs> because on an angle. Because let's let's let, let's be honest, I don't want to actually in, unless you want to, I don't want to mention dollar amounts, but one of the main elements of this room is a pair of speakers that cost more than I make in a year. Yeah. Basically. The I mean, most of the cost for all of this was uh, in the first part of the article, the demolition, the recarpeting, the repainting, and all of that. The other stuff wasn't really that expensive. And you can find the costs all online, like Vintage King. They have all of the acoustic absorption and diffusion panels from Vicoustic. So you can, you can go out there and go, okay, I think here's what I need and here's what it costs. It's really not outrageous. The shipping kind of kills you because the stuff <laughs> is so big. Yeah. You know? So, like, how do you decide what what kind of? I mean, I'm looking. Uh, listeners can't see it, but there, there are different sorts of paneling, uh, sound paneling on the back behind you. How do you decide which piece to get, and you know what it should look like, and how it should be positioned? This is where uh, ask two engineers and get five answers, uh-huh. and then ask a couple of companies who will actually look at measurements and use the science and provide you with good information. So I asked everyone I knew, got crazy answers from all of them. And then I went to Vicoustic and for 50 bucks, I did a project with them. They said, send us all the pictures, tell us everything about the room you know, send us the measurements, and we will do our best to come up with what we think you need. And that's where they said, okay, you're gonna need absorption here, you're gonna need diffusion there, and we recommend you know these base traps in the corner. So. The one thing I did learn from everyone I asked was go slow. Don't add it all at once because if yeah. you get overdamped, your room is going to sound terrible. So I did absorption and diffusion on the sidewalls, and I didn't do any base traps in the corners. And I was like, okay, this is way better, but I need a little bit of something for the base. So, so I did half the recommendation and did the base traps in the front. So I'm guessing that the diffusion are the slightly convex ones and absorption are the ones that look like op art with the thing sticking out reverse <laughs> really yes ah, the diffusion ah. are the ones that look like a skyline right and the absorption are all the the other panels okay so the diffusion is basically it's breaking up the waves into little bits is that it yeah it's scattering them so you don't hear like the the diffusion is at the first reflection point and the second reflection point and that really causes your sound to get blurred so we diffuse the sound there. Right. So the diffusion, and, and so obviously link in the show notes, if you go down to the second uh, series of photos, the final photo number 18 of 18 gives a good image of the side of the wall. You can see where the listening chair is. And the diffusion ones are just about behind, just about where your ears are, and then they go back a little bit. So are they basically scattering the sound so you don't get too much reflection back? Is that what it is? Yeah, exactly. So from if you and it, the way to do this is put a mirror on the sidewall and then sit in your listening chair and have yeah. somebody move the mirror when you can see like the tweeter, that's a reflection point. So it's exactly what So it's geometry. It, it totally, yes. This is all like geometry and physics. It's like shooting pool. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> yes, without any English. 
Um, yes. <laughs> so it's right. You can't use English, right? Yeah. Um, it's it's really kind of cool, but it was way over my head. And I read as much as I could about all of this to try and figure it out. And I was just like, I I don't know what to do. So I had to, you know, ask for help. And I'm not pushing the company Vicoustic. They're not a sponsor or anything. But for 50 bucks, they'll do this and they'll send you back these 3D models of your room. And it's a great starting point. Okay. And I guess kudos to Manny's Piano Movers who brought the speakers in because there's no way you could have gotten them up there yourself. Oh, my gosh. No. Those guys. And one of the guys, I believe, was Manny. Wait, 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 wait. Back up. Back up. Before you even... <laughs> Before you even got the speakers upstairs, they had to be <laughs> delivered to your house. Yes. On a pallet, I believe. Isn't that right? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. On a pallet. It, so fortunately, I have a alley in the back, and my garage is right next to the alley. So a big semi pulls up in the alley, you know, and they have a lift gate in the back, and they lower them, and the guy gets them into the garage on a, you know, the, the hand truck. That's actually mechanical. How many? How many boxes? There were, well, these speakers don't ship in boxes, Doug. Oh, I'm sorry. They, <laughs> hand, handmade wood crates, yes. Ah, uh, yes. yes. Bespoke crates. <laughs> yes. So three crates. The two bottom pieces are in their individual crates, and the two top pieces of the speakers are in uh, a crate together. Right. But they sat out in the garage for weeks until I could schedule Manny's to come out here and move them in. because I, They are the piano movers. Yeah, Manny's yeah, piano yeah. movers. Otherwise... You can't do it. And I called a lot of companies, too, saying, hey, I got these big speakers. Can you move them? They're like, what? <laughs> What's a Lamborghini? I'm, I'm, guess, I'm guessing they'd never seen speakers that big before. They, they had not. They had a lot of questions. Um, but, you know, they were really cool guys, and they did an awesome job. I was so nervous thinking, yeah, sure. you know, they're going to rough them up or something. They're insured. Paint. You know, I'm not sending them back to get touched up. It's just such an ordeal. But they didn't scratch anything. So all good. Okay, so I'm looking at picture 15 in the second gallery here. And my question about that is, so you've got two mono amplifiers, right? And one goes into each speaker. But on the right side from your listening chair, you've got all your other gear. Isn't that uh, – to me, it would seem that the gear would have to be centered someplace and not in the field of listening. Doesn't – Obviously, you're listening to music not at low volume. Wouldn't the vibrations of the speakers affect your gear where it's located? So it definitely is possible, but I don't think I could locate it in any position where it would be unaffected. Mm. So I choose the, the worst spot, in my opinion, to put gear is right between the speakers. To me, that Why? totally kills the sound field. Really? And Yeah, and a lot of my friends are the same way. So I try and move it off to the side. And okay. in the ideal situation, it would be on the other side of a wall where, yeah. you know, you just see the speakers. Then you're totally in. But so, yeah, it's off on the right. And then what I did to get the RCA cable from my DAC to the amplifier on the left side is I drilled two holes in the floor, one on each side. And there's people probably can't see that there is a little crawl space behind the wall on each side of the room. So back there, I drilled the holes, ran the cable underneath, pulled it up, and I can send you a link. I just redid this and uh, posted some pictures on my site about it. So I would do that. I would run cables under the floor, absolutely, or behind. Of the course, 
I'm impressed by your attention to detail here, that not only your attention to the detail of the sound, but the aesthetics of the space, because those aesthetics affect how you interpret the music when you're listening. If everything's messy, the music's going to sound messy. It's like, I got to live up here for at least eight hours a day, and I really want to enjoy it and just think about the music when I'm listening. I don't want my mind to be looking at cables everywhere or like a cable across the floor to go to the left channel. That's just, I can't do it. So yeah, I really figured out how to do this the way at least it worked for me. And see, while my office is a bit more used because I've got more stuff and it's smaller, this rejoins my desire to minimalize my audio system, to not see all that stuff. And so I have to tell everyone, Chris was late, and so Doug and I recorded a different topic than what we'd planned, and it'll come out in the next episode where we look back at these amplifiers from the 1970s, these Baroque amplifiers with all these buttons and knobs. And there's something to be said for that. There really is. There's a certain attraction. But also, there's something to be said for the staid minimalism of a room like what you've made here. Yes, it's that's totally what I went for. Um, and I went for a, a really a lack of color kind of too in it. I just wanted the colorful pieces to be my speakers. And they are red. They mm. are Lamborghini red or Porsche red. Well, to be specific, they are Louboutin red. <laughs> really? Yes, yes. The okay. bottom of Christian Louboutin shoes is the same color. Oh, right. Okay. So tell me about the bass traps. Yeah. I'm interested in that. Yeah. So the because the bass waves are so long, they're very hard to control. And the where I had some bass humps in my room, I thought, okay, bass I need humps. To, yes, bass humps. So when you look at the measurements, you see they yep. go way up, like plus 10 dB or something in a say 88 hertz. So yeah. I'm like, okay, how do I control that before I get into DSP? I try to do all I can physically before I do DSP. So I found bass traps that, you, you know, you want to find a pinpoint your frequency because if you damp everything, then you're just bringing everything down by yeah. so many dB and you're yeah. in the same spot. So I tried to find bass traps that only worked on the v lowest of frequencies that I needed, and I did. Um, so put them in, and they do a really, really good job. And the Vicoustic said to also put them in the back of the room, I don't think I need that. You mean the opposite corners? They said do all four corners. Right. So I started with these two, and I think it's totally good. And the bass traps were not expensive. Does it? Do the forward traps capture enough bass so that it doesn't reflect back? Is that what you're saying? That you don't need them uh, in the back? Most likely, yes. Or because of my listening position and the way that sound waves work, I don't hear them there. Yeah, and you've, you've got the graph. Around the room, yeah. and you can hear the bass nodes terrible, like in some spots, but since you're not sitting there, you don't hear it. I think people know that feeling when you're trying to position a subwoofer, and yes, you walk around the room, ah, you can't put it there because it sounds like crap over here. Yep, completely. So the, okay, yeah, the so bass traps, I think, were like 150 bucks, but shipping was probably about the same. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. What are they made of? If you're handy... You can make. I was just going to say, can you make them? Can you, yeah. Yes, you can make almost all of this. You can even some of the companies sell the products they put in them. But for me, I don't think I could have aesthetically done it the way that they did it. Yeah. And it's got like uh, I want to say Tom's of Maine. That's not the brand, but there's something a uh, something of Maine. Um, LL yeah. Beans. There's a 
a fabric covering that's like some company in Maine or something ah. that will do it nicely if you don't Guilford want Guilford of Maine. Yes. It's in the article. I read the article. Oh, uh, they make covers for the uh, for the for the the treatment. So they make fabrics, and you, when you order the like the base traps, you can say, "Yeah, I want this color from that company," and they just do it. Really, really oh, nice. Wow. Otherwise, you're looking at like a a pro studio, black, ugly, white, ugly. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I wanted something because you look at those constantly when you're listening. So something that was yeah. nice. Okay, so you did all this stuff, but then you say, you know what, maybe there's something else I should do. You say, it was time to get serious with DSP. Tell us about DSP. Yes, so digital signal processing. It has come so far over the years because of the power of FPGAs or the power of computers. It is really, really nice to be able to take a frequency response graph that you know has all kinds of bumps and not necessarily flatten it out but to reduce you know the humps and bring up the dips a little bit it can sound amazing but at the same time like anything you can totally make it terrible so this is another very difficult thing that you can tweak for days and days and days so I enlisted an expert. I just it was over my head to do it how I wanted to do it. So DSP is essentially a modern version of a graphic equalizer. Uh yes, for the most part in a general explanation, yes. Although the DSP that I'm using uses a convolution filter and isn't like just an EQ where somebody's going up and down, you know, in the right uh, frequencies, so it's right because if you raise one, you need to lower another by a little bit, right? There's and then you get into you know phase problems. There's, I mean, it gets it gets deep quick. So um, I encourage people to try it themselves. Um, some apps like Rune has a little uh, parametric EQ where you can go in there and just do a couple dips or whatever, and you can really hear the difference like immediately. And if people like that and they're happy with that, cool, but. If they like that, they can get much better um, if they either research it or hire somebody. But why do people in the audiophile community tend to not want to use DSP as if there's something artificial about it? Yes. So the old audiophile ethos is I want a straight wire with gain. And anything other than that must be changing the sound. However, that's super old school thinking because so when more digital came along, there was this talk about bit perfect playback. You don't want your computer to change anything before it gets to the DAC. You need it to be bit perfect. But that the thinking usually stopped there. They didn't think, well, it should be bit perfect at my ears because then I'm really hearing what they're playing back. And with DSP, you can get as close to bit perfect at your ears as possible without changing what's on the recording. But old school audiophiles just, you know, they have a hard time getting into that. And they also have experience with terrible DSP back in the day. Yep. Like the kind you get in surround sound receivers yep. that uh, claim to That's give me. you the sound of the Concertgebouw or the Vienna Philharmonic, whatever. That, yes. I it, mean, I'm the guy that wants the straight wire with the gain control. That's all I want. <laughs> and, you know, you're right. Absolutely. I mean, I've heard good DSP, and I've always thought, well, I don't want to fuss with that. It's too fussy. to. Uh. But I think you might be right. I think you're on to something here. I think that's absolutely right. I think you can... The way you describe it is you're right. This is where it should be bit perfect. Yes. Your, between, your, between your ears. And that brings me to another question. Have you checked your hearing? I haven't checked my hearing for about 
four years. Because don't you want to compensate? I mean, well, uh, Doug and I were at the age where we've got a little bit of drop. I know mine's around 4,000 hertz, more on the left than the right. I'd want to be able to compensate for that in the DSP. Interesting. You probably could do that. I mean, DSP yeah. is very powerful, and you could. Um, I never thought about compensating for hearing. That, that's a that's a really here we go whole new can of worms yeah but to be honest the majority of people who are really into audiophile stuff are older than they are young and they definitely have hearing loss um neil young for example and i think this should be one of the first things know what you can hear so you need to know what to compensate if you want to get the full range of music that's a that's a very good point i i seriously never even crossed my mind you're too young for that uh, yeah, well, you know, 44, <laughs> I'm sure my hearing's not what it used to be. Um, you know, been been to a few concerts in my life. Yep. And, you know, one thing I found interesting, which is somewhat related, is I have a preamp that has a balance for left and right adjustment. And I asked the manufacturer, why on earth do you have that? He said, some people want to recreate the environment at the hall where they have, you know, season tickets. If they sit a little left of center, they make an adjustment. Boom, they're sitting in their seat. I've often wondered why people still need a balance control. I saw somebody was writing about it recently, and I, I, I still don't understand it because when I'm doing critical listening, I want to be in the diamond of sound. If I'm not listening critically and I just want ambient music, I don't care where the balance is, so I'm not really sure. <laughs> but, but you can't always position your speakers in a room like Chris did. Or, or like the speakers I have on my desk. So in, in my listening area over where my comfy chair is there, I can't perfectly position the speakers in part because on one side of the, the listening area is a wall and the other side is open. So I do need to compensate a little bit with the balance for that. That would be a perfect case for using DSP, where I've got the wall on one side and the speaker's about a couple feet away and I've got open space on the other. And there's certainly a lot of things going on with the sound in certain frequencies that would need to be compensated. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So digging into DSP a little bit more, there's a really common question of why don't you want your room totally flat? Like when I look at that graph, why am I not shooting for a totally flat frequency response? And that's because that's not how sound waves work in real life. The, you know, the upper frequencies drop off so if you boost the upper frequencies to be flat with the low frequencies, it's going to rip your eardrums out and be totally unnatural. So when people look at those, they should understand, you know, frequency response is not supposed to be totally flat at your ears. Coming out of the electronics, it should be totally flat, but not at your ears. Right. Uh, imagine you're in a, a concert hall and there's an orchestra in front of you. The speed of the different waves, the the way that they're diffused, it's definitely going to be such that the lower freak, the sorry, the higher frequencies are going to be a little bit down from where the lower frequencies are, because in some ways the lower frequencies sort of build up, whereas the higher frequencies taper off, don't they? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's uh, a common misperception that you want totally flat. There's only one chair in your listening room. Can we come over? No, we're not allowed to come over. There's one <laughs> along the other wall that I kind of move around when I need to. And I move it back by the listening position when people come over. And like a couple guys from Cobas came over and I moved the chairs uh, so they could both listen at the same time. And sit I next, stood right there in the right there in the in the rhombus of sound. <laughs> Doug was saying earlier, you could charge people 25 bucks to come listen to music there. Yeah, <laughs> I would. I'd pay you 25 bucks to come in for half an hour. I I have so much fun when people come over and get to hear music the way they've never heard it in their life. Yeah. If they are 
you know, music fans, they're like, wow, this is so cool. I just didn't think this was possible. Other people like my wife are like, eh, next. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So this has taken what more than a year of what with fixing up the room and getting all of the, the, the acoustic treatments and everything. Are you actually going to be able to stop now? Very good question. That is a good question. <laughs> because isn't that part of the audiophile mindset as well? Always wanting to get a little bit better. So can you get to a plateau here for a while and live with this before you try to tweak things more? Yes. I think the acoustics I'm totally set with. I have no uh, visions of making changes. They're perfect. The DSP that I'm using... I got an email last night from Mitch, who did my DSP, and said, you know, they made an update to AudioLens software, <laughs> and it makes a little bit of adjust adjustments for timing that they found there were problems. So he goes, if you can remeasure your room, I'll give you a new set of convolution filters. Yep. So, you know, there's always that, but that's more of a uh, kind of like an engineering pursuit in that the developer for the software found problems that he fixed with timing. So. Yeah. When those come along, yes, I'll do new filters, but I don't have any desire to, well, for what I did over the last year, I don't have any desire to change that. The audiophile in me always wants, oh, maybe maybe I'll try a new DAC. Maybe I'll get something more. Yeah. You know? But isn't that part of the fun, though? I mean, introducing a new component and then kind of seeing, oh, I got to adjust this over here. Now I got to adjust this over here. Absolutely. And there's, there's a little happy yes, guy in your head going up and down, going, oh, boy, more stuff to do. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there's the destination and there's the journey. And you can prolong the journey as long as you want and get to a destination and then go to another one. And I love that part about this hobby. A lot of people look at it more cynically, like, oh, you just want to buy more gear. You're never stopping. You're never happy. No, the me and the people that I know are just like, okay, I have the system. What if there's something else that I like that's you know just as good or better? It's just, that's part of the fun. Is it likely, though, that if you introduce a new amplifier or something, that you will need to retweak the DSP a little bit? I don't believe so. New speakers, yes, but I yeah. don't believe anything upstream of those. Okay, this has been really, really interesting. Chris, thanks for sharing this with us. I really recommend that everyone go check out this article. It's a fascinating room, and wow, you've done a lot here. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for the compliments. I wasn't kidding. I would have given I'd give him twenty five bucks to come and listen to to music in his room for half an hour or for an album. I could I would bring an album. An album's worth, I mean, yeah. Well, what would you want to listen to? Well, I don't know. By the way, this is our next track segment. For once, we're not going to pick a next track, but we decided we would discuss which album we would listen to in Chris's listening room. It's really um, rather difficult because. If you can only listen to one, oh, this is this is like this is like being on the <laughs> island, right? But this is different. <laughs> this is different because this is an opportunity to hear a recording, probably as well as the producers would have expected you to hear it, and or I mean, even better, given yeah. if we're looking at something fairly old, the quality of audio equipment back then wasn't as good and. While you could probably get excellent sound in a recording studio, aren't you, you've got all those gadgets around, and it's probably not the best sound, is it, in a mixing no. room? Oh, no, of course not. Um, I still would like yeah. to hear that. I mean, I would like to hear the way, for instance, Pink Floyd heard the way 
Dark Side of the Moon was being mixed. I'd like to be able to hear the way they heard it. I'll, I'll probably never be able to hear that. Um, but that's the sort of album... Well, they would have had studio monitors with near-field listening, and in that case, the room treatment isn't as important, right? Probably so. In fact, if anything, in that kind of listening, don't you want your speakers close enough so you're kind of enveloped by them, and everything else you want it to sort of dampen? That's how I would imagine I would... That's how I would expect it to sound in a studio. You want to yeah. hear the sound, and that's all you want to hear. You don't want to hear it anymore. I think, though... If I was to go to Chris's room, I would want to listen to something that I'm really familiar with. Yeah. And, and I've mentioned in the past that I've got this playlist of tracks that I use to test audio equipment. And I wouldn't want to listen to that in Chris's room. But I do that because it's it's songs and pieces of music that I know well enough that I'll be able to recognize exactly what I'm hearing, if it's better or not. But in Chris's room, I'd, it would be an album. Yeah. Yeah. Um, something... I'd like something like, let's say, Close to the Edge, Dark Side of the Moon, or Wish You Were Here, which I prefer to Dark Side of the Moon. Well, I, you know, I, was, I would like to hear Heroes by David Bowie, or another one, uh, London Calling. I'd like to, I wouldn't mind hearing that. Double album doesn't really count. Um, well, yeah, you just get a break. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. I'd have to have a break to flip the record. Well, I, I, <laughs> I, I do Exile on Main Street, yeah, so, right. you know, you get an intermission. And and those are records that we know really well, so I guess I'd want to hear them that way. I'm, try, I'm trying to think if there's yeah. something spectacular that I would like to hear, but I, nothing is... Another oh. Green World. Okay. Well, uh, I'd like to hear Live at Leeds, the Who album, the Who Live album that I really like. I'd love to hear that nice and loud and clean. Yeah, so live be- albums are tough because they either sound... Too, they, they either have too much reverb or too much audience noise or you know I remember when Frampton Comes Alive came out it was the first album where you had that audience noise that wasn't just in the pauses between the songs the the audience was really present and it was a bit jarring and you do hear that now with some other albums it's like I obviously want to hear a Grateful Dead record maybe just Dark Star from Live Dead the the 69 the first version of Dark Star but it's hard to choose. There are so many dead recordings. How do you choose the best one? Because you want a combination here of music and audio quality. Yeah, and, and like you say, something you're familiar with so you can hear the parts that uh, are particularly interesting to you, I guess. I mean, Blood on the Tracks yeah, is another one. one, something that I know really yeah, well. Yeah. I mean, I guess that we could sit here and make a list all day long, but just... We could. But the idea of listening to something as perfectly as you could listen to it's probably uh, it'll never happen in my house it'll never happen in my in my <laughs> wife's basement <laughs> this was episode number 167 of the next track thank you for listening your comments are welcome you can start or join a conversation on this episode's show page at our website you'll also find links to some of the things we talked about in the show notes for this episode just visit thenexttrack.com If you like the show, we'd appreciate it if you gave us a rating or a review wherever you get your podcasts. And if you can't leave a review, a next track tattoo on any easily exposed body part is also acceptable. I'm Doug Adams, and for Kirk McElharn, thanks again. We'll talk to you next time.